And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 245 of PR's This Old Marketing, recorded Thursday, September 17th, 2020. And with me, my good friend, my colleague, and the guy who's going to single-handedly turn around the Browns season after one game, Mr. Joe Polizzi. I'm so sorry. It, uh, the season just seems to be on repeat for you guys. Could you not? What? <laughs> the first thing? The first thing in the whole show? You have yeah. to... <clears throat> Man. Uh, well, I got no room to talk, right? by the way. My Cowboys did not even show well, all up. I, all to I have Los to yeah, well, all I have to say is is that the year 2020 now feels normal because <laughs> right? the Browns are terrible. Now, granted, yeah. Granted, we're not going to talk too much football, but since you brought it up, all I'm going to say is Okay. The Ravens are a great team. Baltimore Ravens are a great team. They're bringing back basically their entire coaching staff and their entire team, and they were ready to go. They didn't need any practice. Done and done. The Browns, again, for the umpteenth year in a row, have a new coach, a new scheme, new defense, new everything. So they really needed some preseason games, and it looked like it. So now, tonight, as a matter of fact depending on when you're listening to this, folks. They're playing the Cincinnati Bengals, which I feel is an even game. I feel good about it. I feel... You should feel well, good about it. They're, they're going to win this game. They're gonna, they'll, they'll win this I'm game. I'm going to predict a 9-6 to six victory, the ugliest game of the year. <laughs> Go Browns. 9-6? Wow. There you go. Very nice. 9-6. to six. That's Well, that's, you know... I, I suppose that's possible. It's it's actually, um, by the way, it's not that's not three field goals. It's going to be a touchdown and a field goal because our guy can't make extra points. Okay, so there. <laughs> and then that, well, you yeah. guys, I mean, look at you lost to an okay team. You're fine. Yeah. Well, the Rams are yeah. good. I mean, look, the Ram, You know, there's Aaron Donald, which is you know enough said, right? But. Uh, more importantly, you know, McVeigh did exactly what he needed to do from an offensive standpoint um, to thwart what was supposed to be the Cowboys' big um, strength, which was their defensive line and pass rush, which, you know, I mean, look, it's one game, and I think I still feel pretty good. We'll see this Sunday because... They have, you know, the, the first home game, um, and so, you know, we'll we will see. I, I I I'm still look. Here's the thing, I'm mostly just happy that there's football on. I you know I don't know what you thought about the 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 whole no fans in the stands and sort of the pumping in of the audience noise and all that kind of stuff. But I thought it was pretty good. I thought the experience as a fan watching on television and I watched a good number of games on Sunday was I you know I thought a good product I thought it was a good product that they put I thought together. the the Browns losing to no fans versus fans was the same experience for me I mean I <laughs> it still felt like a loss <laughs> I, I, yes what I mean no 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 is, I, I, I from agree. a content experience I agree. yeah well it's was well, well what was the game that actually had fans? The Kansas City game? They had like 6,000 yeah, people there. Yeah, the Kansas there, City game. And, and they the, booed. And the Dallas. They booed. Yeah. They booed I know, equality. I know. I know. What is wrong with this world? I know. Well, that, you know, the Philly fans right now are going, yes, somebody to take over for the booing of Santa Claus, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so Philadelphia is going, finally, someone is a bigger jerk, you know, than us. Oh, hey, so, uh, your game you know. was the game that they called the mask police on McVeigh. He was the one that got in trouble because he's the coach that that had the mask on his chin the whole game. Did you hear that? Oh, I did not see that. Oh, no. no I did NFL not see that. came, so that after Sunday's games, they came out and they said there's going to be a big fine for any coach that doesn't wear their mask. Well, there was only one. It was McVeigh. Everyone else <laughs> had their mask well, on. 
So and he said, yeah. and he actually well, he, pointed and out, and he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it because yeah, I don't know if you how, how much you watched Hard Knocks this season, um, which of course is the football show that goes behind the scenes of a of an NFL team. And this year was the Rams, but in one of the episodes, he he there's a whole he has a whole diatribe about why he hates masks and can't stand and he wore a face shield for a while on the show and then hated that and he basically he doesn't like him but you know that doesn't mean you shouldn't wear well it. he always covers his mouth anyways with his clipboard or whatever his play sheet and now he right. doesn't have to do that anymore if he just wore his mask he doesn't have to cover it. he covers yeah. himself it's right. non-stop it's just like whatever get over it McFay. Yeah. <laughs> you, I swear, you and everyone else from LA. <laughs> oh, whoa, wait a minute now. Wait a minute. How did I get lumped in yeah. with that? Yeah, uh, boy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's get to the oh news. My God. I am so punchy. I was on an hour and a half podcast with, with two people from uh, Dublin, and I'm like, I mean, just. I just can't. You're gonna get what you're gonna get. I'm I'm yeah. already giving out excuses. Well, there you go. Yeah, you've already insulted everybody in LA. So that's uh it's a good start. It's a good start. So let's move to our top of the show segment, ladies and gentlemen, before Joe completely goes off the deep end. And let's cover the, the you know it is the it is the top of the news story uh, pretty much if not the top certainly of the tech and marketing uh, space which is of course about our friends at TikTok um, the TikTok saga continues well past the September fifteenth de- deadline um, and uh, the article that we'll link to well we have a couple of articles to pair together here for the top of the show segment the first comes to us courtesy of the New York Times which uh, just yesterday said backlash grows to TikTok Oracle deal. For those of you who may not be keeping up, Oracle is now the lead suitor after Microsoft stepped away uh, to actually acquire the social media network. And the article opens up by saying, even as negotiations continued on Wednesday over a proposal that would allow Chinese-owned social media app TikTok to continue operating in the United States, a backlash was forming in Washington to the deal. Over the weekend, TikTok had offered a proposal to the Treasury Department that aimed to address the Trump administration's concern that the app could give the Chinese government access to sensitive data. The proposal included bringing on Oracle, the Silicon Valley business software company, as a technology partner to TikTok. But Oracle would not own TikTok outright, and the app would not transfer ownership of its valuable recommendation algorithm to Oracle. So the article goes on to talk about the challenges and the frustration and everything that's going on with this deal. The second um, article, and then I totally want to get your take on this, Mr. Pulitzer, sure. uh, is, is that, it, you know, despite what we uh, may think about TikTok as sort of a viable thing, it is growing. It is growing very, very quickly here. The uh, article that we'll link to is from Finbold, Finance in Bold, interesting website that I got to explore because of this story. But they basically said data acquired by Finbold.com indicates that video sharing social network service TikTok continues to grow in popularity, outshining established competitors. The data shows that in August this year, TikTok had 44.6 million downloads, while Instagram recorded 38.5 million downloads. Now, I don't know that that's that big a news story because, of course, Instagram is many, many, many years older than TikTok. But anyway, TikTok downloads were at least twice more compared to Facebook's 22.1 million. So I don't think the comparison is necessarily uh, fair there, but certainly 44.6 million downloads is nothing to sneeze at. So these two things together, what do you what do you think, Mr. Polizzi, about the TikTok's future here in the United well, States? Well, first of all, let me let me do the last first since it's uh, it's the most recent one. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so let's I and I wrote this down on my sheet of paper. Uh, short form vi- <laughs> short form yeah i do have a piece of paper and a pen short yeah. form video tiktok is your winner you can lock it up they have the the best algorithm i the, everything that i've read and looked at tiktok's got it down uh instagram can't what does that even mean what does that mean because, what does that even mean you, you, have you ever talked with anybody that uses tiktok uh yes okay. i have well then you know that Every time they come up 
with a video that people cannot stop watching. It's I the people that I talk to are addicted to it. They have trouble going to sleep or doing anything because they're on it. And it's just they've they've got that algorithm set where they will show you exactly and they well here's the thing. They don't whatever's going to get you to keep watching, that's what they will show you. They will not be preferential in showing sites that have a lot of followers or don't whatever. They're going to show you what they think that you will engage in, which okay. is di- which All is right. much okay. different. I, I, I which is that. much different yeah. than YouTube, which absolutely shows yeah, preferential course. treatment. So, but if you look at short form video, this is what I think is happening: short form video king, TikTok, mid form video king, which I, I would say um, that would be anywhere from a minute to three minutes. Facebook. We'll, we'll take that lead. That's going to be all Facebooks. And then long-form video is YouTube. I don't see anything changing that. That is the new place that we watch television, and it's YouTube. And I don't that's, – that's happening. So TikTok is continuing to grow. They've got the secret sauce. They figure that out. Now go on to this uh, – what I would call a joke of a deal. <laughs> I don't want to sugarcoat it at all. Um let look at. I don't want to get political here, but I think you have to look at what's going on here. Larry Ellison in February had a campaign rally, uh, a fundraising event for Mr. Trump. Uh, that plays into this why he had very kind words. Now the Trump administration, the current administration, doesn't like the deal because it's still going to be owned by ByteDance, with which is a Chinese company. So. When when the administration said, oh, you we don't want your U.S. operations run by China. Well, this they they brought they put it right back in their face, Robert, and said, well, this is the best we're going to give you. We're going to do this thing where Larry Ellison, who is the CEO and founder of Oracle, is going to stand as a shield in between ByteDance and. And the administration, and I think it's a it's a brilliant back in your face move that ByteDance is making. And honestly, even though there are a whole slew of people that don't like this deal, and you can say for whatever reason, I think it's going to go through, just because there's one person that likes them. That's it. I think it'll go through. Which yeah. makes actually, yeah, you know what that means? It means nothing. Nothing will happen. Oracle's not going to bring anything to the table for TikTok. They're, they're not. No, of course not. No, Oracle will actually not do what Oracle mostly does with its acquisitions, which is to completely ruin the product. Because um, it's not an so, acquisition. It, that's right. It's that's a chess right. move. They, so they, so, so right. So it's it's literally a a a a theater. This right? theater, it's theater it's really of security. Good theater. It's yeah, good. And, and so. All of that is, you know, and they're get, and they'll make money with it. They'll, they'll they'll certainly make money from the deal, you know, in some in some fashion. Former, yeah, formerly called bribe, but yes, they'll make money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So it's gonna it's gonna go through. It's it's it, in some form or fashion. It's gonna it's gonna go through. Um, I have every anticipation uh, of that. If the only reason is so that Trump can basically crow that he's the one who saved the deal. Um, and, and so I, I fully expect it to go through. I fully, you know, the whole concern over this, by the way, the whole concern over the data part of this would be solved by in 10 seconds, if Google and Apple basically said, fine, but TikTok on our platforms has zero access to zero data. That's it. And then it wouldn't be. Then it wouldn't matter. Because yeah, none of it would matter. Sure, yeah. let them have all. Let them have all the video that they want, right? Let ByteDance have all the information on video and 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 you know what crazy wonderful things you know are happening. You know, people doing twerking in the middle of a grocery store or whatever it is. All good. the The danger here is that you know those kinds of apps typically want access to other parts of your device. The camera, the microphone, the data, the use, the location data, all that kind of stuff. That's the data that's sensitive that people are concerned about. And if Apple and or Google would just say, fine, TikTok can live in our ecosystem, but it can't have 
access like others can, right? It can't, you know, and, and Apple's already changing this with iOS 14 and all of that. But if, if they would just make that change, then it wouldn't matter. None of this would matter. All right, you want you want some predictions? Do you want some? I'll sure, almost give you. I'll them. almost give you dates. Here's what's going to happen, <laughs> and I'm not very smart, but I know that this stuff is going to happen. I am not a I smart am, exactly, man, Jenny. but this is. But you can see this coming, like a freight train. Yeah. Um, in June, just to to give you a little back information, June July is when um, the, the the Trump campaign bought a ton of ads on Facebook dissing TikTok. And they did the whole deal about the data and China and everything. Then right after that, if you remember, he came out and said, look, TikTok, you can't do business here anymore unless you figure something out. You got to sell to an American. And then the whole sell it to an American company again leads to today, this deal with Oracle. The deal will go through probably in the next couple weeks because you want to give people time to get to the polls and vote. Um Almost yeah. immediately when that happens, the Trump campaign buys a huge lot of space on TikTok. <laughs> and I, I no, I'm totally I'm totally serious because they're going back after that group of teenagers that are on there that have a lot of influence, and they are going to flood millions of dollars into that TikTok pl- uh, platform before November third. So there you go. So you get you the two things that you're going to wait for that'll happen before November third. One is the deal will go down. Two is huge yeah. millions. I would say. Twenty, thirty million dollars will go into TikTok from the Trump campaign, maybe more. Yeah, I, I'll buy the first one, not the second one. I, I, yeah, yeah. I don't think he's. I don't, I don't think they're. Once the look, deal's there, done, there's, there's, there's question, there's question about how much money they actually have. Um. So yeah, there's. I mean that, but that gets into a whole other topic. Well, at least the seven yeah. million that uh, Larry Ellison's fundraiser yeah. <laughs> uh, did for him. So. Yeah, I, and by the it, way, it, this it, is not. I, I don't want this to come across as political. This is just completely strange that the the U.S. government or any government, for that matter, that's part of a democracy, is getting involved in any kind of negotiations like this. Oh, it's just the weirdest thing ever. But I mean, you know, it's the most twenty twenty thing ever. That's first true. Of all. Um, that's true. You know, but it's just yeah. It's I mean, but literally, it just. Every day that I think it can't get weirder, it does. So I've just stopped trying to set my expectations that it can't get weirder because every day it does. It gets weirder. It just, I mean, I can go on and on and on, but I won't. Remember <laughs> remember when we met in Chicago the day after the 2016 election? <laughs> and I was a little yes. down, I got to admit. And I think we said, well, maybe it won't be that bad. Yeah, I think we did say yeah. we were having coffee. Remember, we were in the hotel down on the on the first yeah. floor, and I was you were trying to cheer me up. So yeah, and I said you were saying, something you like were saying, hey, maybe he'll maybe he'll be pre- maybe he'll finally listen to people and be presidential. You said maybe the Browns will win the Central Division, and you said <laughs> and you said maybe it won't be that bad. Yeah, and as always, you were right on point. I was wrong. Yeah, that's a. Yeah. <laughs> On both counts. Oh, God, love you. Yeah. All right. Let's move on now to our second segment of the show, which, of course, is our article segment where Joe and I have picked a few articles from around the web just to sort of, oh, you know, talk about things that we want to talk about. And so the first one that we'll talk a little bit about is actually, you know, it segues nicely um, from what we were just talking about, but it's, it's really much more about marketing. Um, and I had no idea this was coming. Um which was, uh, so thank you, by the way, hat tip to Bethany Johnson, friend and family of the show, of course, um, uh, who sent this over uh, via the hashtag um, and said, it, it, the headline is, Facebook's testing a new email marketing tool. And many of you are out there going, what? And this, yeah, it's true, apparently. Facebook is actually testing a new marketing uh, email tool. Uh, this comes to us courtesy of HubSpot, of all places. Um, and basically, it the article opens up by saying, each day, millions of brands launch ads, create business pages, and test out lead-generating marketing strategies on Facebook. While Facebook offers a robust selection of marketing tools, one big marketing staple they've never really explored is email marketing. That might be about to change. This summer, 
A small number of Facebook business users uh, have been given access to a new email marketing tool, which Facebook later confirmed it was experimenting with. While you might not expect a major social media platform like Facebook to invest in email marketing tools, this move actually makes a lot of sense, and I would tend to agree with this author. Um, so what do you think? The article goes on, by the way, to show some screenshots of it and and all of that. Um, really good article sort of introducing it. Um what do you think about this? I mean, this is Facebook getting into helping helping businesses market through email. I, you know, I thought you were going to say the article goes on and there's pictures and images and words and, you know, like articles do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there are. Uh, yeah. there, th- those things are exactly, there. Again, you were right. You were right on the button. Um, yeah. There, there are words. There are ads. There are related articles. And there's even a navigation bar at isn't the bottom. This, so. Isn't this just crazy? I, I actually think yeah. that um, th- this is going to lead into, of course, I always think there's a, an acquisition at the end of the road. I think Facebook will, first of all, the, the article says, and Facebook is confirming that email is important. Well, first of all, you've got to remember, Facebook's business is built on email. So just all social media sites are built on email. That's their primary key to the database. So just stop it with. Oh, Jesus Christ! I, <laughs> I'm sorry, wow. man. I I'm I'm tired of the social media sites getting in and doing something in email, and people saying, "Oh, well, of course, email marketing is now important because they believe it." Of course, they do. If they didn't have email, they would have nothing. So okay, so there's that. But I digress. Uh, I think they're going to purchase a, an email marketing company uh from this uh and and really like a small it, business tool or more like a you know like a mailchimp is that what you're thinking yeah or mailchimp thinking and emma like a, yeah something or a big or a big email platform like a, a consumer email platform mm, i don't know what do you think i mean first of all do, is there any credence to that I, I i've actually thought that facebook was they're they're looking at tools i mean in every in every area you know email is just one of them and instead of building the tool, they could do what Google does and just buy it. Um, so why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they do it in this area? They did it for virtual reality and bought Oculus, and they're really behind virtual reality right now. So why wouldn't they, you know, get behind the email with a purchase? Is that a possibility? What do you think? You know, I think. Uh yeah, absolutely. I could see them buying an email tool. I, you know, the the thing is, <clears throat> I'm not quite sure that there's an email tool out there that could scale to the needs that they would need it to scale to, quite frankly, and that would provide the level of deliverability that they're going to need to make this truly viable, right? Um, you know, I think they may have to build this. This may be something that they have to, you know, let's not forget that they launched, uh, I think it was eight years ago, eight or nine years ago, um, where you could have your at facebook.com email address. You could actually, do you remember this at all? I don't remember that. Yeah. You can actually, you know, you can actually get, and I think you still can, I'm not quite 100% sure of this, but you basically could get, you know, whatever your username is on, on, on Facebook at facebook.com. That was your, that was your, it's a uh, great, your, no, you're, I mean, you're, this is fascinating because just think about what they're trying to do with WhatsApp and, and messenger, right? Well, it's right. not that big That's of right. a leap to just add I mean, so there's a couple of things. Do you use it, you're saying, for the consumer side, or do you have you, Facebook's customers use a you know business portion to help them market out of the Facebook platform? I think the first one is definitely doable. Well, it's both, right? Because if it's going to be driven out of your Facebook page, you've got everything from people who have a page um, and can send their friends email, like you could create email groups and all that kind of stuff with, you know, your, you know, poker team and all that kind of stuff. And you could have an email list in your, from your Facebook page or group if they make it available to groups. Um, or you make it available to small businesses to do marketing emails. Right. And, and so it just keeps you in that ecosystem. Right. And, and by the way, it gives what the amount of data, holy oh smokers, my gosh, yes. the amount of data, well, you know, that, Facebook that, loves that, data. Yeah. So, it's a, you know, it's a really interesting move, I think, but I'm, I'm a little, you know, 
I, I think it's interesting both from the, you know, because if you're a, you know, if you have a, like I've, I belong to these days um, more and more, the, my reason for going to Facebook is through groups, right? You know, through, you know, it's, and, and, you know, whether it's a private little business group for marketers or whether it's a private group for my little local neighborhood or whether it's a private group for, you know, some, you know, affinity I have for music or something like that, that's really where a lot of, I mean, even, and Facebook's, by the way, got a huge marketing campaign going on right now to sort of do all that, right? To show off the, the power of, of groups and, and what it believes is a really core function of, of Facebook these days. So your email ability to send email to those people kind of right now is relegated to either going through the group or going through the messenger, right? So you can do, you know, you can set up messenger groups and all of that as well. So now if it, if it enables an email, a true email list, you know, it, it makes it available to consumers as well as, you know, and, and maybe they bring back the whole idea of, you know, you, you at, you know, Jay Paluzzi at, Paluzzi at, at, uh, of, at Facebook.com. Yeah, I, I mean, it's now that you're saying that it's not that big of a stretch. By the way, do you hear that pounding? Can you hear that pounding in the background? Do you hear this? I just a, just little, a little bit. bit. Just a little bit. You know what? Just I was bit. trying to figure out what it is. Baker Mayfield is building a ladder so he can actually throw it over the line. That's what. Ooh. That's what's out right outside my window. Isn't that fantastic? See, that's. I can smell the smoke from here <laughs> on that burn. I. That is. There you go. Wow. Anyways, I. You know, now that if you look at Messenger and you see how it's set up. You could easily say, "Oh, I'm going to send this inside Facebook to Messenger or WhatsApp." Well, Messenger's and- an awful experience. I mean, let's just be honest, right? Messenger is an absolutely horrific experience for most people. It's just not good. Um, I use it as little as I possibly can, but the idea behind it yes. is good, right? Direct messaging through Facebook and your friends on Facebook is a good. Thing, but the point, right? yeah. But the point it- is. How much of a stretch is it to say, oh, I'm going to send this to these three people that are in Facebook and I'm going to send it, it to six people through their email addresses that are, that are not on Facebook or whatever, or I'm just going to send it outside. It's, they've already got the setup. It's not that big of a stretch to do this. That's right. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's easy for them to do this. The done, question, done. and I think you asked a good one, which is, do you go buy something to make this happen? Or, you know, to make this happen at scale, or do they already have it built and they just need to, they just need to widen it out? I think the latter. I think, they, think they already I have think it they, built? Yeah, I don't think there's anything that they would go buy that would be, you know, that would be helpful in that Yahoo regard. Mail. I mean, it would, well, you know, that, that, that kind of thing is what we're talking about here, I think. Because yeah, it, it'll work great. Because as you said, Messenger is a horrible experience. So is Yahoo Mail. So let's bring them both together, and we'll have scrambled eggs. You know, <laughs> and you've got the you've got the true Facebook experience at that point. <laughs> We've made Facebook Messenger even more horrible, even worse, even yeah, worse. Exactly. We're adding. If you thought it was bad now. We're adding the technology and sophistication of Yahoo Mail. <laughs> <laughs> Yahoo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you thought Facebook Messenger was bad, we've brought the absolute undeliverability as well as horrible user experience of Yahoo Mail to you for, yes. Oh, my God. That's where we are. Yeah, that's now it's crystal clear. It's going to happen. We got a lot of things. It's another predictions episode. You got got a lot of predictions in this show. Love these episodes. Yes. Absolutely. All right. So let's move on to our next story here, which is uh, another interesting uh one which might be filled with uh as much snark um apparently um and again another fantastic post um from josh sternberg um the media nut i mean i, I i'm loving this email newsletter i have to tell josh you is and great yeah by the way i've been i don't know josh at all i just want to tell you i just his content is fantastic. i don't know him at all either but i and i email him every once in a while and just say nice job and this that and the other and He's just, he, he knows his stuff. He's a good guy. Yeah. Good newsletter. He, yeah, really good newsletter. Um, anyway, the headline here is, The marriage between Tabula and Outbrain is over before it even started. And I hadn't heard of this either, um, even though I'm in the space. And so it's, 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 it's fascinating to me. So for those of you who may not have been uh, um, uh, caught up, uh, Tabula and Outbrain were two separate, very highly competing services for 
all those related articles that you see at the bottom of CNN or other publishing sites that say, you know, if you like that, you like this. And of course, it's nothing like anything you want because it's all mostly um, as one of the executives at one of those companies, I won't say which, said to me one time, the bathing suit problem, right, which is always there's always some sort of um, thumbnail of somebody, a man or a woman in a bathing suit. So it's trying to click, you know, get you to clickbait into some of those articles. Um, and the article opens up here by saying the clickbait wedding of the year between Taboola and Outbrain because they were going to merge late last year. Uh, and, and we actually covered it on this show, I believe, uh, has been called off. After a year of planning, including getting permission by the Department of Justice, the combined company, which would have on paper approached Facebook and Google-like numbers in terms of reach, claiming the partnership would get content in front of 2 billion people uh, on a daily basis, uh, is now just another uh, casualty of 2020. Uh, Ad Exchanger, which is where he's reporting from, uh, reports that Taboola changed its commitment to publishers in June because it stopped offering publisher guarantees and switched to a revenue share model, which caused Taboola to breach several publisher agreements, according to the source, and lose a bunch of high-profile clients like Fox News and uh, News Corp in the UK. That then sort of lit up um, the idea with Outbrain because Outbrain was actually going to go in underneath the Taboola name. And of course, it sounds like from this reporting that Taboola Outbrain was like, uh, no, we're, you know, you're, you're screwing everything up for all of us kids here in the sandbox. So now we want, you know, a renegotiated deal. And they started trying to renegotiate the deal and it didn't work out. And it seems to be over before it really, uh, and, uh, began. Um, and, uh, yeah, and and <laughs> I love the fact that he ends with a Billy the Billy Joel video from scenes from an Italian restaurant. <laughs> it's uh, I, I don't know why that's there, but it's just great, it's very endearing. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. So, what do you think about this? What do you think about these two sort of hashing it out and can't really get along? Um, you know, it, this is what I thought of. It was interesting. Cause I read this article, and then I it just happened to listen to. Do you ever listen to the Digiday podcast? Okay. Yes, I so have the, before. Yeah. The most recent Digiday podcast was with uh, Fortune's new CEO, and he was talking about when it really started to get bad at Time and Fortune. They would come up to their quarterly earnings, and they would be, and he said something about he digging through the cushions to find any penny they could to make their numbers. That's yeah. how desperate. And by the way, this is a true story. This is how media companies in, in a lot of markets are dealing with it right now. They are just desperately trying to find any kind of revenue. And I don't want to say anything. Neg I'm not saying anything negative about Taboola revenue or those kind of sites. But this is the position that a lot of traditional publishers are in right now where they really it's not insignificant revenue, as Josh says, going to a lot of these publishers that Taboola and Outbrain kicks off. It might be suspect sometimes because a lot of the sites, is, and you just mentioned, you know, you we've all seen the posts, right? We've all seen some of the recommendations, and you're like, okay, that's re that's really kind of weird. But what it reminded me of back in the days when I worked at Pet Media, which is which was a large B two B publisher, was I worked I I oversaw reprints. Do you do you ever know you know how the reprints division works? In, I do. Okay, I do. But but explain it for the okay. audience because they they. So might basically, not. and this was. I mean, you can get this digitally, but this was heavy in the print days. So you'd have a print magazine, and a print magazine has a reprints division. So if you read an article in HVAC, uh, in let's say in Contracting Business Magazine, and your uh, plumber was featured, you might want to get reprints of that, and you could share them with customers or you could share them with the sales team or you know whatever because it talked great about you so it's it, you use it as pr well what happened is is that in general a lot of publishers didn't want to oversee an internal reprints department so they would go ahead and outsource that to a, to a company that that's all they did with reprints now the thing that most people don't want to talk about is most publishers hated, they needed this revenue because it was significant revenue because people paid a lot of money, sometimes up to five, $6,000 just to get a bunch of reprints on stuff. And, but the problem is you had to give up the database as a publisher and give it to the reprints company and they would call. And some of these reprints companies would call and call and call and it just got nasty. 
So and this is exactly what I thought of with this. It's publishers need to deal with this sometimes. Even they have to take some of the nasty side of this business because it's not insignificant revenue. Okay, I'm going full circle. Why is this even important to our to content marketing? Because content marketing people don't have to worry about this crap. They don't have to worry about that insignificant type of revenue, and that's why enterprises have a. I think if they have a, at least if they have a conscience when they do these kind of content marketing efforts, they have an opportunity. They don't have to dig through the cushions for this kind of revenue. So I just totally went off the marker, but that's that's why I think this is significant. Because you have publishers that really need this kind of stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, that, you know, so, (laughs) I mean, you've hit the nail on the head, I think. I mean, you know, which is when you start thinking about from a content marketing perspective, and, and most content marketers, when and if they would use uh, Taboola and Outbrain would do so from a distribution. They wanted to be one of those little chiclet icons at the bottom yeah, of an article a, on yeah, CNN. You use a, right? Yeah, you use it as you know. a content distribution option. Absolutely. Right. You know, so it's basically promoting content. Um, and those budgets were small, right? Those budgets were were small and, and mostly insignificant unless you were some of the few outliers that really, really went heavy. You know, most B2B organizations or even most B2C organizations, that budget was, you know, measured in hundreds and thousands of dollars, not tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, where the money was big was in other publishers. You know, you used to talk about this all the time, which is where other media companies would build sort of networks to triage traffic, or not triage, but uh, arbitrage traffic, right? Where you could buy traffic and then sell it back to another publisher or whatever for a, for a price, mm-hmm. right? Yep, yep. And so the, arbitraging that traffic uh, became such a huge thing. And that's, that's really where the big money was in this, you know, in, in this marriage, in this space. Wasn't with product and brands and service brands trying to pull in, you know, traditional advertising dollars. The big money was in traditional media companies arbitraging traffic with other media companies trying to get them, you know, better advertising markets. Buy it for, yeah, buy it for six cents, sell it for 10 cents. Exactly. Exactly what they were doing. Yep. That's right. And are doing. And so, that's right. And so, but any, any sort of economist, you know, or, (laughs) you know, eighth grader in math will tell you that that, that's a, that's a zero sum game at some point, right? It, it, it can't last because, at some point, the, the the arbitrage goes to zero, and you know, and, and and you have to you have to have a plan for that, right? You have to have a a, a diversification in the way that you provide value um, to be able to, to to be able to deal with that. Perfect example in the startup world is I look at a company like Demandbase, right? So Demandbase, uh, fantastically run company. And making a bunch of acquisitions in the space, by the way. Um, and that company started, and because I know, because I knew the founders, basically started at their, their whole original idea was to be the, as they called it, the iTunes of uh, leads, right? So you would, you know, you would ostensibly buy a lead that you got on your website. So somebody would appear on your website. The demand base would tell you who that person is, maybe by a reverse IP lookup, and you would then have a choice to click a button and your sales guy could buy that lead, right? And and then email that person and say, hey, by the way, I saw you were on my website and blah, 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 right? That's the same kind of idea. Of course, that business model can't last because it's a zero-sum game at some point. You've bought all the leads you're going to get, right? You've bought, you've bought everybody at that company. You can't buy it anymore. So what they did was they diversified their whole model to really understand going back to the Theodore Levitt, right? So why we're in business, what, what job are we actually solving for a customer? And they, what they understood was it was not about selling leads one by one. It was about providing the ability to scale content personalization and scale the ability to do account-based marketing at scale and began to diversify and get more revenue for, you know, than, than their business model. This is what both Taboola and Outbrain, in my humble opinion, failed to do, right? They've, they've, they've failed to sort of get out of that standard, very, very thick gravy train of the publisher media model, and which was wonderful while it lasted, yeah. but was always going to be a zero-sum game, 
COVID comes along, accelerates that change, and basically says, <laughs> media companies, no, you're going to change your whole model here. This whole promoted content, advertising, banner advertising, uh, no, it, it, w- you knew it was coming, but it was we're going to change it in months, not years. And now they're stuck, right? And so they get out of the business. They get it at a last ditch effort. They do the whole, you know, Taboola does oh revenue share game, basically saying, oh, no, you can't afford our high fees because it's a zero sum game. Remember, you can't pay that margin. We'll just we'll just take a little bit of the piece of the pie. And then the but the publishers go, uh, no, you're not picking a piece of our pie. We, we're taking all the pie as small as it is. To your point, finding change in the in the. Uh, in in the cushions and basically say go away, and now they're both being told to go away. So I I think this as a you know to me I look at this and I go I I think this is you know this is not good news for either of them right. If, in other words, if one of them doesn't sort of make a huge pivot here and change what they're doing, this it won't be long till they both go away. I'm so shocked that this deal didn't go through. Yeah, I'm not at all. I am not. Are you? Are you? Are you? No, no. I am. I am because of the fact that they needed it so bad, badly to happen. They really could have used it. Yes, it. It was. It's a shame that it didn't because I think they would have been a lot stronger together, commanding as much uh, as they did, and it would have made a pivot or an expansion of other services and products. Much, much, yeah. much easier for the both of them, you know. But, you know, I mean, this is the world of startups, right? Egos and, and politics and money and revenue and models and names and all that stuff. Well, I'll tell you what, you, you, know. you, do, you do you know any of the history of, of Rand Fishkin's, uh, you know, exit from, from Moz? Do you know any of that? I do. Yeah, I mean, he's I been, been very public about, you know, what happened and him, you know, exiting the company or whatever. Man, when you take venture capital dollars... And you're not growing. I mean, basically, you, you've got two companies here, Taboola and Outbrain, that were growing like crazy. And then they were not growing like crazy. And when you take VC money and that VC attention is, is, uh, is only there if you hit these growth numbers. I've lived that. Life. I know you I have. That, and you I know it goes. life for eight years. It, doesn't it go yeah. from, Robert, come over, sit down. Can I get you a drink to, you know. They're not even returning your calls anymore. That's oh no 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 no. They return your calls. No 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 no. It, those what it means is is that there are a lot of uncomfortable, awkward Friday afternoon yeah. meetings. Yeah, that, that's, that's what that's what it means. Which where where there's a lot of you know very hard questions getting asked that you don't have good PowerPoint slides for, and that you know that th- those awkward, uncomfortable conversations you send you into a weekend of you know, where you're like working, 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 trying to do anything you can to try and turn it around. Because yeah, if you don't have hockey stick growth, they don't care. I, I could just imagine. All right. Here, here's a, here's the, the 1998 growth project projections, but first, and then you flip the slide. Let's look at this cat hanging from a tree. Isn't that cute? <laughs> <laughs> I've actually been in everyone. Yeah. <laughs> everyone look at the cat. Everybody laughs. Ha ha ha. Yeah. See you at the bar. You know, the, I will tell you. Okay, so so okay, so all right. That that's literally true at a level, right? I have been in the meetings from in in some board meetings and some venture meetings where it's literally like, let's take a look at our revenue projections. But before we do that, let's look at our cool new awesome brand. Let's look at our awesome pictures and new UI. Get, and it gets everybody excited. And then they go, now let's go back to the revenue projections. We're going to come off our uh, top line revenue projections for the next uh, eighteen months because market conditions are blah 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 yeah, blah blah exactly. blah, and then and then everybody kind of goes. Ugh. There's a big grunt around the table. It's like, Ugh. but look at the brand. Look but look at, at the brand. It's so great. <laughs> this is yeah, a goo- look at our social look media, at our, our Facebook page. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, my. Uh, good old days, right? All right. Yeah. Let's move on to our last uh, article of the show here, which uh, is another one, by the way, a uh, hat tip over to Bethany. Uh, we should just hire Bethany. Bethany no, we don't need to hire Bethany. It, She's just doing it all for free. Thank you. Yeah, Bethany. that's right. She is doing it for yep. free. So thank yes, you, Bethany, thank you. for doing it all yep. for free. Um, this comes to us courtesy of Animals.co, uh, which, of course, is a really interesting new company uh, sort of providing content marketing services. Um the article she sent over uh, said the second mover advantage in content marketing uh, and written by a guy by the name of Ryan Law, who I don't know. So good article, Ryan, if you're out there. Um, and the article opens up and says, look for the North Star on a cloudless night and you'll see a picture of the universe from 323 years ago. Love the specificity of that. Uh, from that picture, we can learn a little bit about the North Star as it looks today. We can only see a snapshot of how it looked uh, in the past. The same is true in content marketing. Opening a page of search results is like gazing into the night sky. You're staring years into the past. We can learn relatively little about what works today. We can only see the strategies that worked five or even 10 years ago. Case in point, you've probably noticed that a lot of top ranking content is surprisingly pretty bad. For all the talk about competitive content marketing has become, the best performing articles, at least in terms of traffic and rankings, are often mediocre, plainly written, and formulaic and lack original insight. Today, you'd hand this content back to your writer and ask for a revision. The reason these articles were so effective is simple. They had first mover advantage. Many of today's SEO powerhouses were simply the first to adopt content marketing. They were just early enough that mediocre content was relatively good, even though, uh, or excuse me, early enough to build a moat of links, rankings, and brand recognition. Today, it's not their quality that keeps them sitting pretty at number one. It's their legacy. And then it goes on to talk through some of that. Um, I just thought it was a really interesting article and it talks through really the advantage of being a second mover uh advantage in when it comes to content and how to actually approach content what did you what did you think about that i have a distinct take on this but what did you think well, I, what i what i like about it is i mean first of all it's worth reading so go, go ahead and you know get the yeah. get the link in the show notes and take a look at it because it if you go to many of the big power searches in any industry right now Ryan's absolutely right. They are old. They yeah. are very old, sometimes 2012 old. And yeah. it's an ongoing problem. And you talk about what's Google's issue. They have That's a big issue there because they haven't been able to figure out what's the best content. It's, I just went through this. I've, just, I've been through a big uh, uh, client engagement where I was trying to find content marketing examples uh, in a very niche industry. Um, and so I just started with content marketing examples. Whoa. I mean, you know, I mean us included, by the way, you know, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're guilty of this as yeah. well. Winning some of the search battles with stuff that's five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. And it's like, wow, where are all the one year old examples? Where are all the two year old examples? They are hard to find on the page right. seven of Google. This is a great example. Cause I know this page intimately. Go and search yeah. for content marketing on Google. The first result is what is content marketing from Content Marketing Institute. That was written in 2008, folks. Yeah. Now, granted, it's updated, and the team does a great job of updating it, and they do what you're supposed to do. 2008. Then you have CMI site. Then you have a, uh, a CMI. CMI does a great job. CMI uh, 2017 article. Next one. 2014. Next one, 2014. I mean, come on. Are you yeah. kidding me? So anyways, it is a big problem. And what I love about this is the article goes in and says, okay, well, what, what are we going to do? And, and it really talks about going after the unloved keywords. Like really go after the obscure, the unloved. It goes a little bit into some salesy content as well, which is fine. But I like the focus on... Uh, not even the mid-level keywords, but the but the the much smaller keywords where you have an opportunity to to break through all the clutter. So I yeah, it's just a, right. It's really a good handy article to have, and you should send yep. it to your SEO team. Absolutely. And my take on this, by the way, is that you know second mover advantage is a pretty well worn path um, for those of you who are students of or study um, you know marketing or business strategy. Um, you know, 
every you know if we look at the 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 stock market right now right so the the the, the fascinating thing is they look at fang right which is facebook amazon netflix google every single one of those market leading market defining industry defining companies are all second mover advantagers right yep. they're all they're all you know facebook was a, you know was definitely not the first um, social media network that did that thing Amazon was definitely not the first e-commerce. They were definitely, you know, second or third mover. Um, remember, remember CD Now and CD Baby and all those where you could go buy your CDs. Um, anyway, the, the Netflix definitely not the first mover advantage there. They were definitely second mover, if not third mover. Um, and Google, same thing, definitely not the first search engine um, out there. You know, so second mover advantage is a, is a great theory to go study. Um, because as Ryan sort of outlines in the article, you can look for the weaknesses that are there and you can take advantage of those weaknesses and start to build in, you know, and, and, and that feeds into things like innovators dilemma and all sorts of challenger. Yeah. There's so much, you know, wonderful thinking there. So what it reminded me of was to go review some of my strategies around second mover advantage, which is a, another benefit of the article. So good stuff. there. Very good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, speaking of some moving advantages, see what I did there? Um, we have a sponsor we should talk about. Absolutely. October 13th to 16th, 2020, Content Marketing World Conference and Expo. It is the 10th anniversary. And if you've been to any wow. other one before, you got to be at the 10th. There is a couple amazing speakers that come right off the top of my head. <laughs> they happen to be on this <laughs> podcast. You don't want to miss yeah. those, and you got another hundred or so that are pretty darn amazing. Uh, I can't uh, say enough great things. It's hard to believe, Robert. Ten years, jeez. I'm just gonna do. I'm just gonna. As you go through this, I'm just gonna do my Owen Wilson. Wow, wow. <laughs> it sounds just like wow. It sounds just like Owen Wilson. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, yeah. You can use code PNR. Is it 100? PNR 100. Yes, that's right. PNR 100. First try PNR 200, see if you get 200 off. I, I don't think that works. But I think PNR 100 will absolutely work. You get you $100 off. All the CMI people right now are like freaking They're out. Like, oh, God, do we do that? Whatever. They'll say, hey, we got a lot of PNR 200 codes. You know you don't have a PNR 200 code. Sorry. Who is that? Who are you doing an impression of right now? I need to know. I'm not doing anybody. I'm okay. doing a conglomeration right. of four people. I see. Yeah. I see. Contentmarketingworld.com. Sign up now, October 13th to 16th. Uh, the whole setup's going to be fantastic. You don't want to miss it. Um, so many great sessions. It's going to be a great event. It's, you know... Look, virtual events are hard. Um, I'm learning that in the in the in the biggest way this year. That virtual events are difficult. They are more taxing, both on the consumer and creator. Um, and so, you know, we have really been very careful about how we um, selected the content this year, um, trying not to do too much overwhelm. And it, I, and I'm really excited for it. I, I am actually really excited for the event, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun and. You know, and some great, 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 great speakers, great keynote speakers too. We've got um, uh, uh, Levi Ajayi, who's just amazing. Um, it's it's going to be a good time. Good times, everybody That's wants right. a good time. There it is. It. All right. A lot of so in this one, this episode, I've been singing a lot during this one. You've been doing a lot in this episode. Full stop. I, <laughs> I have to say, so, I don't <laughs> so, know if I should apologize. Okay, let me know. Wow. Yeah. Uh, listeners, wow. if you want less of this next time, I, I know that I, I know what I need to do for less. And if you want the same, then good. I know what to do for that too. You know how that's going to turn out. So I don't know shut anything. Up. Shut I up. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> the intimacies of our audience. I uh, yes, we do. They're they're nutballs just like yeah, we are. That's why we all get along. That's right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for your empirically proven through the wonderful scientific experiments being done in the Silicon Valley, um, your favorite part of the show, which of course is our rants and rave section, which is where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like we're on uh, 
a Facebook email address or something that makes us feel a little cranky about that whole situation. Um, do you have a, do you, yeah. you want to go Let first? Me, yeah, with your... I'd, I'd love to go first. And I want to, uh, I, I feel like I've been ranting a lot. So I want to do a rave. And uh, so I've, wow. I've got a little back, got a little backstory for you. And this is, um, we all know our, our friend used to work at, at Content Marketing Institute, Wally Koval. He's he's got a already best selling book coming out uh, called Accidentally Wes Anderson. Uh, it comes out officially, I think, in a couple weeks. But uh, it's a it's a it's a beautiful book. Um, and we interviewed him for the new version of Content Inc., which comes out in 2021. And I just I want to tell you this just a brief story about this. It's kind of their origination story, and loved it so. So Wally Wally wanted to travel the world. So he started searching places like Instagram or Reddit and Google for ideas. And the more he searched, the more the places he wanted to travel, you know, looked as though, as they, in his words, that they could be plucked from the screen of a Wes Anderson film. And he's a huge Wes Anderson fan. And, you know, this didn't surprise Wally that that's what kept popping up. But he ran into a problem. Every photo that Wally seemed to find had no context. And then there was no information provided for the images and so he wanted to go get that information. So he started to research all this information behind the images and started a destinations list and, and started to put it on Instagram. And he says, I created this travel bucket list just like you would create a list of movies, just like on Netflix. And in, instead of flipping around, he would have this list. And so when Wally and his wife Amanda had vacation time coming up, they would go to this list and go do that. So Wally's doing this on Instagram. Wally's friends began to notice. They loved his list. Pictures were amazing. Wally kept at it. He was getting you know a thousand, a couple thousand subscribers to this whole thing. It was really working. Renamed it accidentally Wes Anderson, which I think is a fantastic name for his you know photojournalism travel site. And for each image, kept adding more and more background and specific hashtags. And so after a little, this is two years this went on, a little more than two years, Accidentally Wes Anderson, you know, has their 3,000 followers, including Vogue magazine. So he gets an interview at Vogue, comes out in August of 2017, and the follower count from the Vogue magazine increases by 10 times from that. Now today, you know, Wally and Amanda's accident, they have over 1 million followers on Accidentally Wes Anderson on October, as we talked about, 2020, published Accidentally, Wes Anderson already a best-selling book, um, and now he's got revenue in multiple forms coming in, tourism sites, partnerships, all kinds of stuff. Grown this substantial, growing business. I have no idea that at some point they're going to sell this for millions of dollars if he chooses to, and I just think it's an absolutely amazing story and model uh, about focusing on a something you love a differentiation area we would call a content tilt and then the cadence and consistency to make it happen and here's somebody that had you know literally no resources to start this thing and now has a best-selling book and a following of over a million and just love the story it's, it. it's an amazing story i mean what it speaks to is one is wally's sort of you know i mean his tenacity at making this thing happen was a, you know, because it's the kind of thing that's easy to give up on, right? You know, where where you're, you know, sort of, you know, because think about it for a second. He had to go get permission at some point from Wes Anderson to actually use the IP, which he did. Which he, did. he yeah. you know, he 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 actually had to go pull all this stuff together, make it all happen, do the work, um, and and all with no guarantee, right? That this was going to actually, you know, other than the fact that he was getting, you know good response from his audience, no guarantee that it was actually going to make any money. Um, and I just got my copy of the book in the mail the other day. Oh, did it come? I should, just, I should get mine pretty soon then. Sweet. Oh, it's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, he has done such a remarkable job on the, on the book itself. And it's, you know, it's way bigger and thicker than I thought it was going to be. It is a coffee table and book. It's just, <laughs> it is a coffee table. It's just, it's really, really good. I mean, hats off to him for being able to put all this together. It's just absolutely remarkable. Really, it really is. So good, yeah. And um, and Amanda, yeah. Wally and Amanda, great, great. Oh yeah, stuff. absolutely. So, all right. Absolutely. Uh, do you have a rant or rave? I do. I well, I feel like I've been a little snarky on this podcast. That's my episode, fault. But I'm about That's my fault. Uh, yeah, I I'm I'm about to get a little snarkier too. Um, have you heard of this thing called zero party data? I, I have heard of it. You have? Uh, uh, oh, wow. Yeah, That's... through you, I think. Okay. <laughs> 
you might have some of your side comments screaming from los angeles um you know, so zero-party data, if you haven't heard of it, is something that was uh, last year, pretty much, um, bef- pre-COVID, was started up by uh, Forrester. Um, well, there's a, we've got a link in the show notes that'll, that'll go through a, a couple of definitions of it. But um, it was started up by Forrester. And the idea here is, is that the, this is, so you've got third-party data, right? which is data that you, you know, you, you get from third party scraping, you know, this is what, you know, the third party cookie and all that stuff is, you know, uh, you know, everybody's freaking out about right now because it's how advertising targeting is done in many cases by companies, et cetera. And then you got first party data, which of course is the data that you actually, you know, have, right. Your, your own company, your own, you know, your own, you know, your, what we talk about a lot in content marketing. Um, they have now come out and said that there's a thing called zero-party data, which is data that basically the definition of it is is that it's data that is willingly uh, and intentionally given to you. So here's my challenge with it. I, so I, 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 you know, any frequent listener to this show or reader of things that we've written for ten years, we've been talking about this. We, you know, I mean, this is so not news, you know, and <laughs> maybe part of my rant here is, is that, hey, man, why am I not getting credit for this? So, so I fully cop to that, right? I fully cop to a little bit of that. But the, the, we've been talking about this idea of what we call typically emotional data, right? Which is data that is willingly, trustingly, intentionally given to us in the sort of intention to get something in value in return, a subscriber. Basically when we create a, an addressable audience, a subscriber for at least since 2015, I've been including this as a major piece of our workshop and why that data is more valuable, why it's more dependable, why it's, you know, all kinds of things. And it is at the heart of a great content marketing strategy. So kudos to Forrester for discovering this thing that's existed for a long time. Um, but the, the 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 challenge I have with calling it zero party data, and I don't, by the way, when emotional data, I don't know that that's any better, but it's at least more accurate because the thing with zero party data is that it's describing a class of data that is sourced from a different place. In other words, if we say third party data is coming from a third party, in other words, that's coming from some list I would buy or something like that, and first party data is coming from data that I generate, well, zero-party data, I, I don't even know where you would do it, but sort of dividing that line between data that is intentionally given to us versus not is not a different class of data. It's a different intention in which it was given. So I, I just have a challenge with it calling it zero-party data instead of something like willing data or you know subscriber data or you know interactive data. I don't care, really, but, but zero-party data is not a great name for it is, I guess, my point. Um, and so, but having said that, I'm glad that the, at least the concept is getting out there that there is a difference in the way that data is currently being given versus gathered. And I mean, that was my entire talk uh, at Content Tech last year was given data versus gathered data and the value difference between those two things. Building an addressable audience is critical, but building that addressable audience that builds a profile on them on data that is willingly and trustingly given is so much more valuable. This is the thing that media companies have truly understood forever. Um, And it's the power of that emotion that is in that, that is contained within that data that provides that value. And so anyway, as you start to hear about zero party data, my encouragement is go learn and, and, and use it for a business case for your own content marketing efforts. But I just know that I just really dislike the the name of it. So there you go. That's my that's my rant, I guess, or commentary. I don't know, I'm not sure what what it is. Well, it's not a blessing. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might be like my my it it, it might be like my, uh, my 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 grandfather used to say. You know, he's got. You know, bless their hearts. You know, yes. so yeah, it's it. You know, that, and everybody from the south will understand what that means. Um, yeah. Okay. Good. What, yeah. 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 What? <laughs> good. What are you doing? What are you doing? What's going on this week Actually, for you? Uh, tonight uh, we have a, a little 
a little uh, social distance uh, gathering party uh, where we're going to be showing the Browns-Bengals game and somebody's birthday, uh, which will go uh, unnamed. JK's birthday, so so happy birthday. And uh, we're going to have birthday. a little fun. Little fun uh, uh, and he hates both the Browns and the Bengals because he's a Steelers fan, so we thought the most appropriate gift to give him would be let's watch the game. So that's oh, what, perfect. Yeah, it is. It, it is perfect. He would tell you who does he, you know, he says this all the time. Who do you want to win, the, the Browns or the Bengals? And he said, nuclear bomb. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> nice. What he would say. What do you got going on? Wow. Uh, I am, you know, I am neck deep in client work right now, which I, I have to tell you, I'm just grateful for. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I've, it's been an incredibly busy summer and it's proving to be an incredibly busy fall because the other thing I have to do is do all kinds of work on content marketing world. It is, it is coming up here fast and furious and I have much, much to do. Um, as they say, I am, you know, I am it, it, literally as they say in, uh, I, uh, in Alice in Wonderland, I am late, I am late, I am late for an important date. So there is much, much to do here before this. So I am busy, but, but all good, all, all good stuff. Excellent. Well, uh, we've already gone over our usual time, so I guess yeah, well, wrap you know, this bad got, boy up again. Got, might be the talking about football. Could be our worst episode ever. <laughs> it could be. Yeah. Or one of these the days best. we're actually going to do it. Worst episode yeah, ever. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, folks, that's it. We are signing off. And if you like this episode, uh, we're asking you to do two things these days. Very specific. Two things if you liked it. One, go to iTunes and give us a review. Uh, a kind review would be most appreciated, but a review nonetheless, because apparently that's the way we game the algorithm. Um, and two, Share it. Share it with a friend. Tell somebody else to subscribe to it. Tell somebody else to go listen to it and see what they think. Um, for those of you who may be new to the show, we publish twice a month, so every other week uh, thereabouts, sometimes with a special episode in between, but mostly twice a twice a, a month now. Um, if, in the meantime, before you get to the next show, you want more of Joe Polizzi, you can get that at JoePolizzi.com, uh, and he's got an amazing wonderful newsletter called The Random, and it's just fantastic, I have to tell you. Um, one of my favorite newsletters out there. And if you're interested in anything I have to say with regard to the practitioner side of things, with regards zero data and all that sort of thing, you can get that at contentadvisory.net. Uh, and of course, hashtag us up on Twitter. Uh, we love the news items. Thank you, Bethany, for all of the wonderful contributions you've made. Um, thank you all for all the contributions you've made on the hashtag and the polls and the surveys and all the fun memes that are going around about the show. We'd absolutely adore that. Um, and so hashtag us up, won't you, on Twitter. Hashtag is this old marketing. And in the meantime, before we meet again, remember, everybody, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you in a couple of weeks on This Old Marketing.